Welcome to the Yellow Jacket Experience. I'm your host, Seth Dusalt, and joining me from our athletic training staff is our senior assistant athletic trainer. I think I've got that title uh, down right, Jason LaFerrier. Jay, how are we doing today? Doing well, Seth. How are you doing? Doing fantastic. It's National Athletic Training Month, and all throughout the month of March, we're going to be interviewing our athletic trainers. We have five fantastic ATs in five weeks. It works out perfectly, and Jay has been here the longest. He's been here. This is his 17th season, been here since 04. So we figured we would start with uh, maybe our perhaps our most our most well-known athletic trainer here in the department. And I want to start out before you became an athletic trainer, Jay. I want to go back to little kid Jay. Uh, when you were younger, what kind of sports did you actually, if you played any, what kind of sports did you enjoy playing? Um, I played a little bit of peewee baseball like, for like a little bit of time. I wrestled in high school uh, for about a year and a half. Uh, unfortunately, suffered a neck injury that kind of limited my last year. And then that with a little problem with a coach ended up for me just deciding to be done with it. But uh, I did wrestle for a year and a half when I was in high school. No kidding. What, uh, what, what was your go-to move to get a pin? Uh, I actually used to like a roll, like when we were, um, I used to try to grab the person's hand, roll them up, and then try to like r roll them on their back and just gut them into a cradle. Nice. Uh, we, were, we were still kind of a new program, so I didn't know a lot of moves. <laughs> <laughs> you, do, you would listen, probably would do a lot better than I would do. I'll tell you that it's, uh, I've seen, I've seen what those guys can do. And it's just like, I, I know if I tried to get out there, I'd end up, up a pretzel. So uh, as you were growing up, uh, who were some of the athletes or people in sports in general that you, you looked up to, people that you really enjoyed watching or wanted to be like? Um, so as I grew up, I was a big Boston fan. Um, my dad was a huge sports nut, so kind of projected that onto me. Um, I was always watching sports with him or have some – almost all the time watching some type of sport. Um, like most people in my height stature, I rooted for the little guy. <laughs> um, I mean, anybody that I found kind of like interesting and beat the odds. Um, I mean, Muggsy Bogues is one of the first ones that come to mind. Like, guy shouldn't have been in the NBA, but made a huge career of it. Uh, I mean, I was always obviously loved the like, I was a huge Larry Bird fan. Ray Bork was probably one of my absolute favorites. Uh, hated seeing him leaving, but when he won his Stanley Cup, I was quite happy. <laughs> mm. um, and then, of course, the Red Sox, uh, with the Red Sox, I've always loved Pedroia. Again, small little guy that plays hard, that does everything the right way, and that's always been my kind of MO. That's who I usually wrote for. <laughs> Hey, it makes sense. You want you want to root for uh, for the people that that make you feel like you can do this yourself. And uh, certainly, uh, Pedroia, obviously phenomenal phenomenal baseball player. Even as a Yankees fan, I can say that you know he was the laser show. There's no doubt about it. And yeah. Larry Bird and Ray Bork. I mean, Boston sports institutions. So, what made you decide athletic training was what you wanted to do? How did you make that call to make that your career? Well, that one's actually kind of a fun little story. Um, so when I was when I was in high school, I actually majored in carpentry and kind of decided I didn't want to do that for a career. 
So I was looking into some things that I wanted to do. I always knew I liked helping people. I kind of was into like kind of studying about like anatomy and I was always into science. Um, so I was looking into possibly physical therapy, something like that. Wasn't really sure. Been talking to a few people. I actually originally thought like most of my family going to work at just some industry or store or something like that and being there for my life. And then I actually got a scholarship through like one grant in, um, in high school. And then when I was in college, I actually met a gentleman who's kind of like a little mentor to me. And he was talking to me and at, like leading me into which uh, directions to go to. So ironically, I was watching a Red Sox game. I saw a guy slide into second base and then stayed down. And then I saw the person run out to go check him out. And I was like, well, that looks like a cool job. <laughs> <laughs> I can sit there, watch sports, and then help people when they get hurt. All right, cool. <laughs> so he actually leaned me towards like what the dub head title was, which is obviously now better trainer. And back then I thought I could just watch sports and then only help them when they get hurt. I had no idea what the job entailed, but I, it was the, Hey, that's, that sounds like a great career. <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of funny because it's the same thing that I say. I tell people all the time I get paid to watch sports and obviously that's not exactly the truth, but there's a lot that goes into it that people don't think about or don't know about, but, but that that's, you know, I mean, you're right there and you have the best seat in the house in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, and you had, it's, it's hard to believe, imagine you anywhere but AIC at this point after you know, almost two decades now, but you didn't start your athletic training career at AIC. You were at Amherst College for a few years and you, were, you had the best seat in the house for a national championship uh, with their women's lacrosse team. I think it was 2003. Yes. Um, they won the national title. What was it like being, being a part of that and just, I mean, winning a national title is obviously an unbelievable experience, I would imagine. Um, I mean, it was an experience like no other. I, like, to explain it is sometimes difficult, um, but we had been to NCAAs before, so I kind of got the experience. I'm like, all right, this is really cool. Like, I mean, you kind of, you're treated special. You give them, like, little passes and things like that and, like, make you feel special. So that season, it was, I mean, we had a great team. I mean, obviously won the national championship, but I mean, there was so much talent on that team. And I mean, what made it even better was a bunch of students that I got along with fantastically. Um, I remember pretty much every detail of that game. Uh, I remember one of my athletes getting hurt in like during one of the possessions and during the media timeout I, my head coach said she was going to take a timeout so I was yelling to the player to take off her shoes so I could tape her up real quick and so sprinted out there taped her up got her, got her shoe back on and let her go play and we went up by two with probably I think it was like 30 seconds ago and of course we still thought it was like oh my god something's gonna happen something's gonna happen <laughs> and when we won it was just like I mean, I was trying not to storm the field like the players. I was like, come on, stay with the coaches. But I just wanted to storm the field with them. And it was such an amazing feeling. We had a seven-hour ride home. It didn't matter. Like, <laughs> we were carrying the National Championship Trophy into rest stops. 
I, it was such a great experience. And then to get, like, it was on national TV too, which was kind of cool. Like, it's, I'm like, it's one of those things, it's like, wow, I was on TV. Uh, I mean, not for, for too much, they just can't buy me, but <laughs> it's still a pretty cool experience. Yeah, I mean, and we'll get to some of the other experiences you've had here at AIC, but like, let's let's first talk about coming to AIC. What did what attracted you to to want to make a change to go from Amherst College to come here to AIC uh, when you made that when you made that move back in '04? Well, when I was working at Amherst, I was kind of doing a little semi, like it's called part time, full time. So I worked full time hours but I was only considered a part-time seasonal employee. So I didn't have any benefits. I didn't have any guarantee of money coming in during the summer or any time during the break. So I was looking for something full-time with benefits. And I actually knew the assistant athletic trainer here at the time. And they had just opened up a position for a third position. So he had messaged me, he goes, hey, I'm not sure if you're still looking for full-time work, but we got a position open here. And I was like, yeah, I'm definitely interested. Uh, it was a little bit of a awkward time trying to make that decision because I had just gone to a trip to Europe with my field hockey team. They had gone to England, Wales, and Ireland for a trip, and they brought me with them. So I was having a hard time with that decision. But ultimately, I had to kind of make that decision for my career as to what I thought was going to be the next best step. Now, obviously, you've been a part of a lot of really unbelievable teams here at AIC. Uh, yes, you know, you're, 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 you're most well-known, I think, probably for um, working with women's soccer and women's basketball, and those two teams have had some, some special runs. What are some of the moments that you think of the most over your career here at AIC, like the things you look back on the most? I mean, obviously, going to those championship games, going to, like, the Final Four with soccer, going to, like, the championship game with women's basketball was obviously amazing experiences. They're so much fun. Half the fun of the, like, the NCAA trips is I can dedicate all my time to that team, and you get a great bonding experience. I mean, you still make – you make so many connections when you're with the team for that long. Um I mean, obviously, it's it's quite an experience when you're traveling to a whole new part of the country and checking it out and get the whole experience of being in an NCAA tournament. And I mean, that national championship game obviously was so awesome. My heart was beating like crazy. I had a ridiculous amount of people calling me and texting me to tell me they, they saw me on TV because <laughs> it was on CBS at the time. And I'm like, oh, that's awesome, but leave me alone. I'm on the game. <laughs> Um, and then final four with women's soccer. I mean, it was that game again. I'll always, we talked about it not too long ago, that game at St. Rose with the wind that was blowing at like probably 50 to 60 miles an hour that were kicking balls backwards. Um, it was a experience and a half and it's just, it's all those moments that lead up to it. It's, it makes it so fun. Yeah, I mean, and obviously you and I were there together for that for that women's soccer thing in 2013. Uh, one of the one of the coolest things that I've been a part of here in my time at AIC. Um, you mentioned the uh, just being with the students as being like kind of one of the most important things for you, and obviously having a good relationship, just from the medical perspective of things you do, is important. But how have you managed to build a relationship with with the student athletes and 
and even outside of, of the, the medical aspect of what you do, why is that so important to you? Um, I think it's just one of, actually, I'll tell you by telling one of my favorite sayings. So there is a Maya Angelou saying that goes, people may not remember what you said, they may not remember what you did, but they'll always remember how you made them feel. And I've kind of lived that way for a long time. Um, so I try to get a connection with my athletes right away. Um, even when I've transitioned teams, I try to make that extra effort to get to know them. Um, my biggest thing is I want someone comfortable to come see me at any point with any problem. Uh, I really don't want anybody to feel awkward around me. I don't want anybody to feel like, oh, this guy's a meanie. I don't want to come see him. He's just going to hold me out of games. Like, that's not the report that I've wanted. But I also try to talk to them in reality terms. And, like, I'm very honest with my athletes. I, I think almost every one of them would tell you I've never lied to them. <laughs> like, if I think they're going to be out for a long time, I tell them. If I think it's just a short time, I will, like, I'll reassure them that. But it's also getting to know them as a person. I mean, asking them about their families, asking them about whatever seems to be bothering that day. I mean, I, I feel like I have a good read of people at times where you can just tell someone's not having a good day. So just asking them what's wrong, sometimes they just need that little venting session to get it off their chest. And I think it's just something that I've always enjoyed doing and trying to help people. And I found out a lot of this job is not just helping people physically, it's also helping them kind of in the mental way. I, even if it's sometimes giving advice of what they think they should do for school or even advice sometimes in their personal life. Um, it's just something I've always tried to do and be part of the, be part of my athletes live where I try to make them a priority. You bring up the, the mental health aspect of things. And I think a lot, you know, of late and as there should be, there's a lot more attention paid to, uh, to mental health, um, how have you been able to integrate that sort of thing into what you do as an athletic trainer, if you've been able to? Um, I mean, I won't say I've had formal training on anything like that aspect. Um, I just try to reassure my athletes I'm there for them. I mean, sometimes someone just needs a shoulder to cry on. Sometimes someone just needs to scream about somebody. Um, I've always made the athletic training room or any conversation with me a safe space. Um, if you want to complain about your coach, you can do that. Uh, if you want to complain about your teammates, I don't care, go ahead. Uh, it may just be the fact that your, whatever, your roommate ticked you off that day and you just want to vent about it. So it's just knowing, like, trying to reassure them that, like, therefore, I mean, in any situation, um, I, I just try to make sure I treat them like people. I mean, like, they, yeah, they are my athletes, but they're people, they're, they're young adults that have problems and sometimes you just want to talk it out. Um, so I don't have any formal training, but I think just being there for them is kind of the biggest thing that I've noticed that people like. I mean, and we've had, I've had great conversations with athletes that I mean, don't even have to do with sports. We'll just be kind of on the sideline or whatever, or just outside of work, just having great conversation with people. And it just gives you that connection that I think people are comfortable coming to see me and talking to me with, about an issue if they have it. Now, one thing you are trained in that might be above and beyond what 
some athletic trainers have is in massage therapy. I know that that's a thing that you've been big on and something that you've put a lot of work into. How do you integrate what you've learned with, with that into athletic training and utilize it to help the student athletes? So I do a lot of soft tissue mobilization um, in my, in my line of work. I actually, the way I work is I actually want to feel through my hands that muscles working or I'm actually creating some, making somebody feel like looser or something to that effect. So like I use my like manual therapy skills a lot and not just in massage. I do a lot of like um, trigger point release. I do some uh, ligament release things. I, so I do a lot of stuff with my hands. But I, mean, I will say I learned a lot of great techniques when I was doing massage school. Um, I know when I went to school, we learned that a trigger point was just a point, like they said, it was a point in muscle where it felt tight and you just pressed on it and wait for it to go away. Well, come to find out, that was just kind of torture some people because <laughs> there's actually specific points in the body that you, as you hit those spots, Yes, it is painful for 20 to 30 seconds, but it'll release it a lot quicker than just sitting there mashing on a muscle that, <laughs> like when I was taught. Um, I mean, it, it definitely strengthened up my hands quite a bit as well um, and increased the sensitivity of my touch. Like there's a lot of times where I can kind of zone in to what I'm feeling where I can recognize a problem that I may not be if I wasn't concentrating and trying to actually appreciate what I'm feeling. It makes it makes a lot of sense, like to be able to really, really figure it out, and to be able to to better help the students in that regard. Um, we've talked about your relationship with the student athletes. What about your relationship with uh, with the coaches? I know you, you know, like I said, you've worked with a lot of teams that you've been with for a very long time. And Coach Hutchison has been here a long time. Coach Issa has been here a long time. Coach Kalini has been here a long time. I know those are three of the coaches you've worked with the most. Um, what has it been like uh, building those relationships with, with them and, and having the connection the same way that you do with the students? Oh, it's fantastic. Uh, I'm in a situation right now, and I say, like, uh, my team assignments with the relationship that I have with my coaches is fantastic. Like, it doesn't really feel like working that much. Um, it's an easy line of communication. And I think part of it is I've, worked so hard to build the trust of them um and it's kind of working so, like side by side with somebody i know i help the coaches out wherever i can i mean not within reason obviously but i mean i don't try to overstep my bounds but i mean they know if they need me to do something in a pinch i'm gonna go and do it and they also know that they can reach out to me at any point and i'll try to help them out whenever i can um I, it's just it's great relationships I have it's it's dealing with friends more than it is with coaches I mean and sometimes obviously I have to start that line of like okay now I have to be professional and like tell you the bad news that you're not gonna like but it, it's knowing that they're not taking it personally I mean I know that they're gonna get upset when they tell them their athletes out for a few weeks or a few months or potentially a year but like afterwards, I know we're going to talk and we're still going to be on a good relationship. Um, I, I, it's with the same team assignments I have right now and the coaching staff I've had, it's one of them great experience. Like it's, it's fun. I've been with Kristen for all 16 years of my career. So 
her, her and I kind of read each other like a book. We kind of know what each other's thinking. There's a lot of times where during a game, I kind of can anticipate when she's going to make it, like call a timeout so I can get stuff ready if I need to or whatever. It's just it having a great connection with someone is kind of what I look for. I mean, a lot of times with, during a baseball game, you don't even have to, we don't have to communicate. You can just kind of give a look. And I know like Skip wants me to go look at somebody and then Issa, he never, never has questioned anything when I tell him anything about an injury and anything like that. But he's also like, we get along great. And he's quite funny to work with, even though he can drive you nuts, but he's, <laughs> <laughs> I think anybody knows that, but no, he is fantastic. I have never like, even before that working with Matt Johnson, like we, I've had great relationships. Um, I mean, and trying to stay, I stay friends with him, but I also, also know where to kind of mark the line. And sometimes you gotta be professional. Oh yeah, absolutely. You can, you can, you get, you have to do your job and it's the same for us in athletic communications. We have to do our job, but I think what you found is what I found that having a good relationship makes it a lot easier to do that job. Oh, my uh, things that don't make it easier to do either of our jobs is this pandemic. Uh, this last year has obviously been a nightmare for everybody. And, you know, in a lot of ways, we're very lucky to be sitting here being able to have this conversation right now. But um, what has this last year been like for you? And what have you learned, you know, about yourself and about your profession um, dealing with something really unprecedented compared to, you know, a torn ACL? Um, I think a lot of it is just the unknowns. Um, the unknowns have made this tough. I we it started back in March where I was on the baseball um, trip down to Florida with the baseball team and being part of that conversation, telling guys that their season's done, only seven games in. Um, not it was not a great experience. Um, I mean, it, guys were heartbroken about it and like, thinking they were losing their careers. Luckily, they got their year back and things like that. But um, then, unfortunately, like, because obviously there wasn't much work, I got laid off as well. I tried to take advantage of it, um, trying to do some things that advantageous to me and trying to get things done around my house. I tried to just make the best of a bad situation. But you definitely learn to be very much flexible <laughs> at this point. Um, a lot of changes happen. A lot of, like, I'll put you on high alert. I, mean, I, I can remember, a year, I mean, even up to a year ago, someone told me they had a cold. I'm like, okay, suck it up. Let's go. <laughs> now it's, nope, go get tested. Don't come here for like two, three days until we know that you're like you don't have COVID. Um, I mean, there, there's a lot of things where I used to just blow off. You can't blow off anymore. Um, it's a lot of, and a lot of cautions and things like that, that you have to take. And unfortunately you resort to being a bad guy at times where I'm sitting there trying to reinforce the mask rules. And like, I mean, I've gotten plenty of eyeball rules because I'm telling somebody to put her face mask on or they need to leave. Um, and they get, people get upset still, but I, I, is 
the pandemic's gone on, I think people sometimes have gotten a little bit lighter on what they think they need to do. And unfortunately, I've had to many times have conversations with my teams and just even individuals walking through that, no, we're still on high alert right now. Like, you cannot be doing what you want, when you want, how you want. It's not like, so unfortunately, resorting back to what I call the bad guy role, but it's the bad guy role into trying to save people's seasons and keep our seasons going and wanting to live a quote unquote normal life. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it unfortunately affected me and my family. Uh, I, I had COVID. I gave it to my family. I saw what it can do. It causes me great concern. Um, and I don't, I don't want to see people go through that. And I mean, I don't know. I try not to only think about these students. Like, what happens if you go visit your grandmother and you had it? Now you're giving it to her. And like, so I'm always trying to discourage like group get-togethers and stuff like that. And but at the same time, try to live a little bit of normalcy as much as you can. Um, I mean, I, I was the first person, one of the first people to say like, I definitely thought we should try to get teams back here. Like encouraging teams to come back and practice and try to live a little bit of normalcy, just to let the students become like students again. <laughs> yeah, it, it's such a fine line because you want to keep everybody safe, and obviously, health and you know, especially for you, health and safety is first priority. But you know, it, it is important for people to be able to to live their lives as well, and and finding that balance and doing the right thing is so difficult that I'm, I'm very glad that I'm not in charge of those kind of things. Um, and I want to take it outside of AIC now for a little bit. There's some, some other things that I know you do a lot of, uh, you work the Boston marathon fairly often. Um, how did you get into doing that? What's that experience been like for you? So before I was an athletic trainer, I actually got my EMT license to try to, uh, kind of elevate my career, make me like sellable on my resume. Um, I'd never really worked on any endurance per se, but I have the, I had the training and I taught classes for 12 years. Um, through that class, through teaching that class, I actually met a gentleman named Ken who was a volunteer at and ran a station at the, at the Boston Marathon. Um, and Ken really wanted me to go work for his group. Um, he knew my skill set that I had, so wanted somebody that could do and knew soft tissue injuries that could be like quick to assess or like help the cramping situations that happen there and that he was really pushing for me and I've had a great relationship with that medical tent um to the pack to like where we all work together they know the soft tissue stuff usually runs through me I will tell them if I'm super busy I will instruct people how to like assist everybody but they nobody steps on my toes i don't step on their toes if there's something like emergency medicine i don't even go near that situation even though i'm trained in it but there's more there are people much more highly qualified uh it is an exhausting day (laughs) um it's a long hard day i i there's times that i have just myself, about 60 to 70 people come through with soft tissue things that I got to help out with. Um, so it's a lot of bumping back and forth, back and forth. And 
it's a fun experience. It's one of those I'm exhausted at the end of the day, but that whole experience, the people you meet. Um, I mean, I always, again, I talk about getting to know my athletes. Well, some of the, some of the people that run the Boston Marathon are very, very hyped up. They're very upset that they have to go to no medical center. So I just started a little conversation with them and like ask them where they're from, things like that. I've met people through Seattle. I've met people from like Florida. I mean, pretty much every part of the country that you could think of. Never mind foreign countries, um, all sorts of things. And it's it's quite an experience doing it. So I mean, at the end of the day, like I'm running around like crazy, and I'm, it's like. But then you just look back on it. It was like, all right, that was fun. Like it's an adrenaline rush for it, it for the two hours I'm busy. It's an adrenaline rush. Were you there uh, in 2013? I was. Um, okay. What was that like? I mean, that's obviously I can't really put it into words. It was. I will not say. I, I'm not going to lie. I'm not, I wasn't at the finish line I work a medical station that is in the middle of the race so I don't try to make myself sound like I was right in the middle of the action but as things happened during the day it became crazier and crazier um there's a couple things that I remember from it I mean obviously so we were at a corner of Commonwealth and Mass Ave so we're near like one of the main stations so they had called us and reactivated our tent to become a mass casualty center in case another bombing happened. And of course, rumor mill happens as you're going around, like there are people reporting that there was bombs found in trash cans along the route. And like, you, you just, everybody's saying the worst, fear and the worst. Um, uh, the gentleman, Ken, told, like, told me I could go home. I told him, no, I was, trained as an EMT as well. And I felt like I had a duty to stay there just in case. So I was like, I am trained and know what to do. I'd rather just stay here. Um, not trying to make myself self sound like a hero. It just, I felt like I had a duty to act to be there. Um, and then unfortunately having to do a couple things where I had to walk out into the middle of the horse and stop this woman from running the race and i was like man i'm sorry but you have to stop and she was like oh no no i'm fine i'm okay i'm i'm like no unfortunately i've stopped the race and she was so upset because it was her 30th and final marathon that she was going to do and i felt horrible and i mean it it was tough to try to console her and things like that um i i try not to sound like I'm bragging here, it, but it, it was a special moment that happened to me during that race and a couple days after that race. Um, I had a young lady who stopped into the medical tent and was having some knee pain. I was able to, because being an athletic trainer, I was able to assess her knee pain. I knew what was going on with it. So I did a taping job on her, like on her knee and encouraged her that she could finish um i mean the best she could advised how i would probably start warming up and get in there i got an email from her two days after the bombing um with her thanking me immensely because she finished 10 minutes before the bombing happened 
Oh my God. Um, it, I felt weird. She mentioned me being a guardian angel. I was like, that's way too much to put on my plate. I, I felt amazing to be able to help her out. But it, it's, I mean, to put that into perspective, I, I just couldn't do it. I'm like, I, I can't take credit for you finishing race, but I appreciate the fact that she thought so much about me that she reached out to me and like said, thank you. It was, it was a great experience that, I mean, not that part wasn't a great experience of bombing, obviously, but the, the fact that she took the time to reach out to me, told me I meant something and I did something for it. It meant a lot. How, how much, I mean, we've talked, you know, we've talked a lot about the human connection that, that your profession uh, requires and creates. Um, how much of that do you, do you have with, with former student athletes? Like, are there still some, some kids that you talk like they're probably not, they're obviously not kids anymore. Some of them going back 20 years at this point, but uh, people that, you know, were your student athletes that you still communicate with today. Well, the funny part is I actually still call them kids. And oh yeah. I was like, I need to stop doing that. I'm like, they're grown adults with kids. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. There's quite a few athletes that I keep in touch with. Um, it kind of makes me feel like I'm doing the right thing. Uh, the fact that people will still reach out to me um i'm in great communication with a lot of former athletes that now not only do i consider them former alumni i also consider them friends i mean obviously there's people that you have connections with that like when they leave the school you kind of communicate once in a while but then there's other ones that i've held great relationships with and become very very tight friends with them and still to this day reach out and contact but i mean one of my favorite days is homecoming weekend. Um, like just walking around and everybody, or not everybody, but a lot of people are yelling my name so I can come over and say hi. Cause they want to, they want to see me and they want to like say what's up and just give me a quick hello and see what I've been doing. Like that's a great day. That is a fantastic day for me. Like the fact that people remember me is like, saying I'm doing the right thing, but it's, I mean, through social media, it helps. I mean, obviously, like, I keep track of a lot of that former athletes and seeing how they're starting to raise their families and things like that, and it's like, wow, I mean, there's, sometimes it's hard to think that people grew up that much. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, it's like, you remember them as a student getting in trouble or doing stupid things on the sideline, and now their parents raising three or four kids and I'm like, Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I have that same experience. Uh, was just not too long ago talking to, uh, somebody who's very familiar to both of us, uh, Sammy Tabak from our women's soccer team who is married and has, has a kid now. And it's just like, I remember when you came to AIC as a freshman after I graduated, like, Oh my God, that, that experience is, and you've got an extra, you know, a decade almost of that on me so I can only imagine it probably gets worse as it goes on yeah at times like I'm like I I mean working at college I always felt like I feel younger than I probably am mm. but it's some of those moments I'm like oh man <laughs> I was like you're actually an adult now <laughs> yeah, it's it, it just it feels so weird to, to think of think of them in those terms outside of sports 
Like, because obviously, you know, you're not just an athletic trainer. You're not just a, a, a fan, even of sports. Like there's, you've got to have other interests. What are some things that, that, that you do to unwind, relax? What are things you enjoy that are maybe not sports related? Oh, I appreciate the fact you don't think I'm just an athletic trainer because that's a, uh... Well, I think people, people forget that aspect. <laughs> it's kind of like running, running in when you were a little kid, running into your teacher in the grocery store, and you're just like, "Wait a minute! You mean you don't live at school?" Yeah, and you still call him Mr. and Mrs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh my God. Um, obviously, during the summer, I have a lot more, like more time, so I have a lot more interest. Um, I go out on my kayak a lot and do a lot of fishing on my kayak. Um, I love riding, riding my motorcycle. My motorcycle is my baby. Um, <laughs> I'm sure a lot of people have seen me ride up on it and just absolutely love going out on the road for like six, seven hours, not caring where I'm going, just go. Mm. Um, it's just a nice way to clear your mind, like, like so relaxing. Um, I enjoy golfing. I try to go as much as I can. Um, I will say that was one little bright spot with the pandemic. It opened up my golfing season quite a bit. So <laughs> <laughs> I went golfing probably about 15, 20 times. And I was like, I wouldn't say I was good, but I felt like I was improving a little <laughs> as opposed to playing once every three weeks. Um, but it's, I like to do things outdoors. Um, I'm going once in a while, going, like try to go on vacation when you can. Uh, I'm a person that likes, I, I won't call myself super adventurous, but I'm not a person that goes on vacation and sits and does nothing. Like if when I'm at a place, I'm looking what I can do, what I can, what's around there that I'm going to do so I can occupy my days because sitting, I can only sit at a beach or sit at the, like sit in a chair for about an hour and a half and then I'm like, I'm bored, I got to do something. <laughs> you, you, um, you and I have that exact same problem. Yeah. I mean, I, and then obviously spending time on friends. Um, I mean, I, at one point I used to make work a little too much of a priority, um, but now I've kind of learned the whole work-life balance, and I make sure I, I have time for my friends and hang out with them. Obviously, harder now during COVID, um, but I mean, just even during COVID having those Zoom meeting, like Zoom group friends, like where you just get to see each other. I, I, I've always told my friends very close to me. I mean, if you're a friend, you know you're a friend, I will help you out in whatever way I can. Um, and it, I try to make sure I keep those connections well. I mean, I, there was a time in my life I felt like I ignored a lot of my friends and I needed to stop doing that. And I, I finally found that connection where I can like leave work at work for a little while and then kind of actually be Jay the person, not Jay the trainer, as everybody likes to call me. Jay the trainer, yeah, and that's I think what I've known you as for, for a very long time. And uh, one of the last questions I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you, um, everybody, when they think of Jay, they think of the mustache. Mm -hmm. You don't have it right now, nope. but you, you usually do. Um, what first inspired you to grow out the mustache and tell us a little bit about why, uh, why you don't have it right now? Cause I know that's something that's important to you. Well, um, so I'm usually the butt of joke for a lot of my friends, obviously. I know everybody's shocked on that one. <laughs> um, you, you and me both, my dude. Yeah. So everybody, especially like my best friend was like, you got to get rid of the mustache. Like try something new, try something new. You got to get rid of it. 
So I made a deal one night, kind of socializing, we'll say, and I made a deal that if we were, if I was able to raise a thousand dollars, I would donate it to charity and I'd shave off the mustache. Uh, it took a little longer than I thought it would. Um, I've had quite a few people contribute a little bit of time, but it took a little harder harder than I thought it would. Um, I actually put something up on Facebook for my birthday, asking people to donate. Got a good amount of money through that. Um, and one day I was about sixty dollars off, and I was hanging at my friend's house, and some of their friend, like our mutual friends, were there. Next thing I know, sixty dollars on the table, and there's a pair of clippers. <laughs> <laughs> um so i was true to my word i shaved a mustache i donated uh, uh the money to three different causes uh i'm a member of the news club in chickabee and i've given it i gave 500 of it to uh or sorry 250 of it to uh moose heart which helps uh take in children that have no families that are familiar with the moose and they take them from whatever age all the way through high school and then it like helped them get scholarships from the college. And then I gave $500 to the Shriners Hospital, which has always been dear to me because I had a nephew that was a member of the Shriners um, and they were, were so helpful with him. Uh, so I always try to give to the Shriners. So that's where the majority of the chunk of it went. And then I gave to um, like the St. Jude Foundation for another like little um, but it's, I went with charities that I felt like close with. I didn't want to just give money for the sake of giving money and mm -hmm. like to places that I didn't think needed, not, not needed it, but that weren't close to what I, that I was passionate about. So I did it and I've stayed mustache free for a couple of years now. It's sometimes weird, <laughs> uh, sometimes, but. I've gotten used to it. Uh, I looked at myself in the mirror the first time and I was like, whoa, what happened? <laughs> but yeah. it was, I mean, the, the fact that I did, I was able to do it for charity made me feel good. Um, it gave me a little inspiration, but I, like multiple good things came out of it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And to go to uh, causes that really help people, which is, seems to be the, the theme of this conversation today that we keep end up going back to is. It, it's kind of like i said it's the way that i've lived my life i, I help mine it's kind of what i do it's I, i've had a thing where i just usually look out for other people and i help people where i can um and it's it, i it's i feel like at times like people are like oh you're giving I, like but i feel good with it too like i i, I feel good when i make someone feel good or like when I can help them in a situation where it may not be able to like get the help that they thought they could. Um, I have, even nowadays, I still have like other athletes that will text me and be like, hey, would you mind taking a look at my whatever? I'm like, no, I, uh, that's fine. Just we'll figure out a time or I'll even like just call them up on the phone and try to help them diagnose them through the phone. But they, like, I, I try to, feel like people can still reach out to me whenever they want and I've had great connections through it. And that leads us into the final question that we ask on every episode of the Yellow Jacket Experience and it'll, it'll be about the people that helped you. Um, who is somebody who has had a significant influence on you 
and in what way have they impacted you or inspired you to become the person that you are today? I mean, I, I don't know if I can give one person. Um, obviously, my parents were a big impact on me. Um, I think they, they instilled my beliefs, they instilled what, like, how I help people, how I, like, treat people. Um, so, obviously, the number one would be my parents. Um, my career-wise, um, I mean, my, the head trainer that taught me most of, most of everything I know was Rich Pierce uh, at Westfield State. Uh, had a huge connection with him. Uh, he was, he was a very passionate athletic trainer as I try to be, like, helps almost anybody that came to see him. And I, I, I tried to see myself mimicking my career after him. Uh, and he was inducted in the Hall of Fame at Westfield State because of his dedication to, like, the program and to the school. And, I mean, there there would be professors that would call him up and be like, hey, Rich, can you help me out? And he wouldn't say, he wouldn't say no to anybody um as long as he could fit it into his schedule so i I feel like i mimicked my career off of him um and i just overall i mean there's a lot of i try to take in a lot from a lot of different people and try to incorporate what i like from people into my life um but there's like personally i mean obviously parents have a big thing professionally rich is huge um i mean i really I, really, I would say like the guy, the person I got me into or told me what athletic training was and Tom Stewart, like he was like, he was a big influence because I don't know if I would have known where to look for athletic training. Um, he, he steered me towards Westfield State and I had such a fantastic experience there because I, w- I was a person, I wasn't a number, um, I was like, you were taken care of there and that was like so uh, there's a lot of influences on my life um but those would be like kind of where i was at now i I definitely feel you and i'm I'm glad that i always get to ask that question instead of having to answer it because like you i could sit here and, and just talk for days about the different people that have had an impact on me in my life so jay i want to thank you for taking the time to sit down with us today this is really awesome to get to know you even better. I know we've known each other for a very long time and know each other pretty well, but even, even getting to learn a little bit more about you myself today, this has been awesome. And I I appreciate it, Seth. I mean, it's one of those things like as an athletic trainer, you don't always get like the kind of not not necessarily recognition, but the acknowledgement. So especially for athletic training month for this to happen, it's, I really appreciate it. Like it's to try to get people know people on a different level, and I think that's a great idea. Now, you, you all, all five of you, certainly have had a tremendous impact on, on the athletic department here, and, and deserve all of the recognition in the world for for the hours that you you put in and go going above and beyond. It's tremendously appreciated, and, and this is the perfect time to do it. Athletic Training Month, so. If you've ever been impacted by an athletic trainer in your life and you're watching this, reach out to them and say thank you because they deserve it. And Jay, thank you for joining us here today on the Yellow Jacket Experience. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Glad to do it. Again, Jason LaFerrier, our Senior Assistant Athletic Trainer here at AIC, episode number one of five in a series we're doing this month with our five athletic trainers. So keep your eyes peeled for more of them all across our social media and our YouTube page on AICYellowJackets.com.